Welcome to What the If. I am Philip Shane. Happy New Year to everyone around the world. Except for people using the Orthodox calendar because it's not New Year's yet there. Oh my goodness. That is, um, that is my very erudite co-host, Professor Matthew Stanley from New York University. Now, what is this Orthodox? Oh, so there's a bunch of different calendar is still in use, right? Those of us who uh, um, enjoy the Gregorian calendar uh, have celebrated our new year, but the Eastern Orthodox calendar in, in use in, say, parts of Eastern Europe and Russia, um, the time's, timing is a little different, uh, not to mention those following the uh, Jewish or Chinese calendars, too. And if there's any Babylonians still out there, um, it's been New Year's for a while for them, so they've fully recovered from their hangovers or whatnot. Uh, it feels like everyone, at least my impression, is based on the news, which, of course, is always true. Uh, the people still celebrate this New Year anyway. You just add it to your own. Yeah, exactly. You can. It's, um, it's a collector's kind of thing. Just grab as many New Year's as you can. And in keeping with the celebrational... Celebrational? <laughs> celebratory... <laughs> feeling and and hangovers as well we have a very special guest today i'm extremely excited to welcome you chris carberry how are you i'm pretty good thanks for having me is the uh, the ceo of explore mars which is an incredible thing unto itself and also and this is where today's if is going to come from the author of a new book called alcohol in space space <laughs> uh, chris just tell us a little bit about how did you come to write a book called alcohol in space well it started off as a joke as you can imagine <laughs> you know within the space community you know, after an event, after a conference, we'd go to a bar and inevitably, as people got a little more silly, we started talking about, you know, what would wine be like if you grew it on or made it on Mars? Would it taste rusty? Could you make beer in space and everything else? So originally, I was thinking of writing, you know, a lighthearted article about wine on Mars or something else. But the more and more I started looking, I realized this is a real topic. There are literally dozens of companies and organizations around the world trying to figure out if you can manufacture alcohol in space or if they can use the space environment to actually benefit their product here on Earth. And at the same time, you know, there's been a fascinating history of people drinking in space, cosmonauts and astronauts, even though it's prohibited in space officially, uh, there has been an interesting history there. So when you put that all together, as well as the depictions in science fiction and the innovations that you would need to actually successfully manufacture alcohol in space, you know, in any large amounts, I realized it was more than a book's worth here. And I might as well be the first. <laughs> <laughs> it is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's one of these it's one of these book titles. It just makes you smile and get intrigued 
immediately. Our if today, inspired by this wonderful book that's come out now, is what the if... We opened a bar or a pub, for those of you uh, outside the U.S., a wonderful public drinking establishment on Mars. I chose Mars for the location of this space, Cheers, because, because Chris is, is the CEO of Explore Mars. What would you name this bar? What would I name the bar? That's an interesting question. Not even one that I came, you know, I thought about. Well, I suppose, you know, the natural one, it's kind of cliche, but exactly as it sounds, the Mars bar. Uh, You you probably can get sponsorship from a candy company as well. Or sued. Yeah. Yeah, Or sued. I'll let them come after us on Mars. (laughs) That's funny because, it, you know, in, in many legal, I was thinking about like, well, what's the trademark law? And there's so many these legal documents that you sign and they often, especially for entertainment properties or whatever, and they actually will say this is owned by whatever Nestle Corporation or something throughout the universe for per- perpetuity. Like they, they've covered <laughs> themselves. There's got to be a certain size of some kind of settlement here. Some kind of what? Sorry? Set, like a settlement or civilization. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the, um, in your imagination, what, how big a, a town or city or metropolis or hamlet are we in here? Well, I mean, the history of human civilization and expansion suggests that as soon as you get, uh, as the Bible says, three or more gathered in one place, somebody's going to build a still. Um, and start making booze. So I would imagine as soon as some people are able to grow food in a reliable way. I think a bar is one of those central elements to define civilization. Without the bar, you're just an outpost. With the bar, you're civilization. Okay. (laughs) And it... So I think you don't need a lot of people, but it's really what you're defining a bar as as well. Yeah, you're right. There will be a still. And there's there's plenty of examples for this when during, as I mentioned in the book, during the by the original crew of Biosphere, even in that they tried to create they, they I think they tried a few different crops that they did, but they succeeded with banana wine. Apparently it wasn't <laughs> very good, but it didn't really matter. <laughs> you know, at that point, they really wanted a drink. But I think over time, I think the best example here on Earth is in Antarctica. There are a number of bars down there, but the one I sent a picture to you guys uh, last night was the Club 90 South. I see that is kind of like what you would imagine the first Mars bar, kind of a hole in the wall where, you know, various crew members, scientists come after the end of the day, uh, let off some steam, but also, you know, are able, you know, to chat in a more relaxed atmosphere. I think I think it has a lot of, there are some negative sides to it, of course. And in Antarctica, apparently you see two sides to it as well. The people who don't have enough to do down there have a ten- that apparently there's been a tendency to go and drink too much, but most people don't. So as long as people are busy, I, I think this is a very positive thing. And as I mentioned, I think that's when you really create society. But as for crops, I have a whole chapter in the book on agriculture, and this is a really key component. And, you know, you're not going to create sustainability for drinking alcohol or making alcohol until you've accomplished 
agriculture on Mars, the moon, wherever you're making your alcohol. And, you know, you have to be responsible. You have to, before you make a lot of alcohol, you have to make sure you have enough to eat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, even even if they're just at the borderline, people are going to use at least a small part of part of their crops to create some sort of alcohol. And this is where, like, for instance, you know, there's a quote in the book from Andy Weir, who did the board for the book. He mentioned that um, it's probably the most inefficient way to use your crops, but people are going to do it. But if you like, if you follow follow that logic, like in the Martian, if uh, you know you can use potatoes. However, if Mark Watney had tried to make vodka, he probably would not have survived. That would not have been a very efficient use of his um, crops. So I think the initial get kind of roundabout way getting back to the initial question i think you don't kind of need a lot of people for an actual bar though you know like the club 90 south you probably need you know 50 to 100 people you know with reasonable crops but as you mentioned earlier they will certainly have a still fairly early on and like in what was it um oh in um uh, gregory benford's uh, short story all the beer on mars yeah they brought that is very real life you know one of the crew members brought some yeast and some other components and they made beer on mars and drank toasted to the uh, um the life on when they discovered life on mars they toasted to it you know with their homemade beer there on mars i think it's, that's extremely realistic you know it's going to happen and based on the history of drinking alcohol in space while they haven't actually made and consumed alcohol in space yet as far as we know uh <laughs> i i didn't hear hear those stories if they had there has been plenty of drinking in space by both russians americans and others and um that's been going on for decades unofficially but everybody knows about it nobody from what i found has gotten inebriated either but it served a important role for camaraderie building relationships amongst international crews uh i think it's served a really important diplomatic role and i think once again, that's another role that a bar and an early bar on Mars or anywhere else will serve. It just helps build community, helps build camaraderie. And so people can let off steam and get to know each other rather than kind of a very rigid science-based environment during their day jobs. You know, could you talk for a minute about exactly what alcohol is and how you make it? <laughs> Well, it's for me, you know, you basically you need some yeast and sugars and the yeast is eating the sugars and one of the byproducts is alcohol. And so other CO2. And so it's actually pretty simple. I, I should say I haven't done any alcohol making um, myself, despite what the local authorities might say. <laughs> um, but as I understand it, fermentation is a process that's pretty delicately affected by things like temperature um, and air pressure. Is that right? It is. There are a lot of things that affect it. And once again, I don't want to get too far into the science elements I might not be familiar with, but I did go into this. And so there, there will be there will be need for, um, you know, testing this. You know, how well would it, you know, what will the atmospheric pressure need to be? What will the other, but does gravity impact it? You know, for instance, if, um, you know, they tried to make, make alcohol in the current, our current space environment in microgravity up on the ISS, International Space Station. How will that affect it? Or on Mars, one-third G or the moon with one-sixth G? We don't know. 
And so while there have been experiments, they have had some early um, experiments for fermentation on ISS way back, you know, in the 90s. There was they brought some beer yeast up. They've also had aging experiments. There are actually a couple of them up there now. There's there are currently 12 bottles of Bordeaux up on ISS. There are um, there's also Suntory, the Japanese whiskey maker, has had an aging experiment up on ISS for several things since 2015. They brought one back and there's still one up there, but they have they've been keeping their mouths shut. They wouldn't they didn't tell me anything <laughs> that, you know, on this, but they weren't the first. Ardbeg, the Scottish whiskey maker, was the first to send up send up a, a whiskey experiment to ISS and um so when they got theirs back, they realized that there was a big difference between the space sample and the ground sample you know, the, uh, on Earth. And apparently it wasn't for the better. <laughs> Interesting. You know, it was kind of described, it had an antiseptic taste, kind of a, a rubbery, smoky taste and smell. And one person said it kind of had a fishy taste to it which is not what you generally <laughs> hope for in your scotch. No. And so, and, but regardless, it's been just interesting to see all this interest. And, you know, so they are beginning to take those steps. We're not quite sure on all this. And this is, we're at the very beginning of seeing if, you know, how fermentation is impacted by the space environment, whether it be the gravity, different atmospheric pressure or other factors that we might not even be thinking of. But there's another big question which we have not answered. And because it's officially prohibited in space, uh, and even though we know people have consumed alcohol in space, we can't still do any formal experiments. So we don't know how human bodies metabolize alcohol in space. Uh -huh. You know, we, we're assuming it's fine because we have anecdotal tales you know, it's happened. They haven't dropped dead or had gone into some sort of psychotic rage. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, there has not been any scientific study of this because of the official uh, prohibition in space. That's really interesting. First of all, I must say Ardbeg is very good. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. So shout out to Ardbeg. Also, this uh, this episode in particular is, is strangely... Um, ironic or fitting i don't even know what the, what the word is for me because um where i am recording this at the the um what the if studios um brooklyn branch uh my building is literally up against the wall of the brooklyn brewery i'm looking out at it right now and uh literally on the other side of this brick wall they are making beer and um there is a a hieroglyphic inscription that they have mm. painted on the side of the building here, which I'm looking at right now, very colorful, and it has a translation underneath it, and it says, quote, beer has dispelled the illness which was in me, and it says, translated by Kent Weeks. Mm, good old Kent. So is that a real, do you think that's <laughs> He a, knows his hieroglyphics. No. <laughs> is that, I don't know anything about Kent Weeks. Is it, so I, you, I think it probably is. I mean, they seem to. You sent me the picture, and it looked very well attributed. So I'm assuming, right. you know, there are actually plenty of quotes from Egypt and Greece and Rome regarding alcohol. So I, I'm fairly sure, particularly since they attributed it so well. Yes. 
I'm sure it is actually correct. Sure. You know, I can't say uh, that for sure because I but didn't. I should say the, the oldest um, written document we have from humanity is about beer, actually. Really? Yeah, it's a recipe for beer. This, this Babylonian tablet. Yeah, beer has been made and there have been gods, you know, plenty of gods throughout history specifically for beer. We have, you know, between, you know, early civilization, but alcohol itself, there's evidence, we have evidence 10,000 years back for Amazing. intentional fermentation in China. So Amazing. really before human written records, we've been, we've been manufacturing alcohol from the very beginning. And it's actually, there's one theory that a number of scientists actually adhere to that alcohol making actually had a greater impact on the development of early agriculture uh, then their desire to eat. So in some ways, in some ways, once again, bringing it back to civilization, that you can argue, assuming that fact is correct, you can thank alcohol production for civilization itself. Amazing. Without, without you know, agriculture, agriculture, organized, scientific agriculture, of course, is one of those key components for civilization. You can't maintain a city. You can't grow the food. And so... Um, it's an interesting thing, and this is why, once again, I think it's, you know, there are dark sides to alcohol. I don't, dis I don't, uh, I'm not going to argue against that. You have to be very careful, but it's also played a fairly significant role in development of civilization. And if we have that initial bar and start having bars on bars or somewhere else, it's going to also help stimulate these things, kind of like with Budweiser. Good example. They currently have, they have four barley experiments up on the International Space Station right what? now. <laughs> and, well, kind of a little background. Back in 2017, I think it was, they had this big uh, press event at South by Southwest in Austin. And they announced that Budweiser wants to be the first beer manufacturer on Mars. And, of course, everybody, you know, they had some celebrities there, an astronaut and some others, as well as a couple, you know, officials from... Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch and you know at first you thought well this is just a stunt you know they're trying to you know beer beer, beer sales particularly amongst millennials have been dropping so you think well uh -huh. maybe trying to do this kind of like grab that magic that you know Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos <laughs> maybe we can connect ourselves with them we can sell more beer yeah. so at first thought it was a stunt but then they started launching experiments to ISS you know, barley experiments. And regardless what their motivations are, that is a wonderful thing because it also shows the side benefits, you know, investing in whether it be alcohol or other things because, yeah, they might be looking at barley growth and, uh, you know, for their product, but they are directly investing in agriculture, things that are directly related to the, our ability to have sustainability in space. So the more that companies like Budweiser or Suntory or all the others can, can invest in this technology, these technologies, that has a direct benefit for, well, human exploration and settlement of space. And that's the only one, they're not the only ones. There are companies looking at um, things like glasses that you can drink more authentically in space companies <laughs> been, like for instance a company that's been working on um a uh, 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 cocktail glass in space or scotch glasses 
Whereas, you know, you, we've all seen the images or the videos of astronauts with a spray, basically a spray uh, squeeze bottle spraying water or whatever into, you know, and it floats around in a big orb. And so and that's great. It's probably fun for, you know, five or ten minutes. But, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the alcohol producers are thinking, well, we want to create something so you can actually have a real experience. You can experience it like you do here on Earth. But, of course, it's hard to keep liquids in a glass and pour yeah, it in yeah. a glass. Right. So it's developing ways so you can actually, you know, it feeds to the bottom. It goes up through these grooves and sticks to the surface. You can sip it like you can sip it like you would a uh, cocktail glass or a scotch glass here on Earth. Awesome. And there are a couple even. And even the even the uh, uh, champagne maker uh, Maison Mum is working on these things. They're developing a champagne bottle, champagne itself, and a glass for drinking in microgravity because they want to enhance the conviviality of drinking their product in space. This is amazing because, like, there's this uh, to me this unbelievable. You know, sounds like an industry, maybe a small industry. But all these things that are happening, you're talking about all these companies doing all this stuff that I never, ever heard of. And yet you would think that's a great thing to either to advertise or, or I don't know, it's just funny that even with all the, the, the way crazy stories, uh, you know, blossom these days, this is a, a true one. <laughs> never heard of It's a true one. <laughs> Amazing. And that's Amazing. You know, the more I looked and, you know, and things keep happening since the book came out, I, Two two experiments have gone up since the book has come come out. That, that those, is amazing. Those, those twelve bottles of Bordeaux only went up last in November, and um, the uh, last uh, 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 Budweiser experiment went up in early December. So it you know this is there have been some interesting things happening ever even since the book was published, and so this is why it's timely. People aren't aware of it. It's fascinating, but even if you're not a fan of it. You have to assume, going back to the whole bar on Mars concept, it's inevitable. And it doesn't matter if you're not a fan of drinking or you think we have to be cautious about drinking in space. Most people are going to assume that may be the case, but it's inevitable. And if there is inevitability to it, it's fair game for studying because, you know, as we finally start sending tourists into space, mm-hmm. they're going to want to drink. Mm-hmm. And, you yes. know, to know what the implications are, you know, uh, because you, you're you assuming it's going to happen. And so while I doubt the government's space agencies are going to look at this, I'm hoping, particularly since there's so much private sector interest in it, we'll be able to start doing some of the science. Obviously, the product, like... Um, you know, uh, having a still or or just plain old fermentation is one thing. And I'm sure the alcohol producers will want to do that as early as they can. But, you know, the, the impact on humans, I think, is very important. So hopefully that will be possible through the private sector issue uh, um, exploration over the next couple of decades. Because yeah. it looks like, looks like we're going to finally have people going up at least into suborbit in the next one to two years. I've been saying that for some time that, now. That, that's what I was thinking that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Richard Branson on uh, Virgin Galactic, if not in, in, as well as all the other um, commercial space things that are going to bring tourists, certainly they're going to want champagne on their, uh, yeah, that's just like the Concorde. To, to toast, right? Yeah, yeah. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to Mars here now. For, I'm going to land back on Mars. And I realize that uh, in this town, also I feel like 
uh, a bar may very well be one of the first sort of establishments. But sometimes, now I don't know if this would happen on a scientific related type settlement or not, but uh, often the next thing that is established is some kind of religious uh, religious house, a house of worship, let's say. And uh, what I find, you know, um, uh, without going into too much of detail, but like it, it was, I thought it was a really beautiful story when I learned, uh, and you talk about it, I think, a little, a little bit in your book, about how Buzz Aldrin brought wine. Was it real wine? that? It was real wine, yeah. Yeah, he brought it to the moon so that he could perform a, a little uh, personal ceremony, a communion ceremony on the moon. And that was not known about for a long time. I think I learned about that in, um, I don't know, a movie or documentary or something much, much, much more recently. Uh, but... Uh, Matt, do you think what would you say are the uh, the odds of that happening, and if so, what might they uh, struggle with? Oh well, so I I, I think the odds are a hundred percent, and certainly like if you think back to uh, the prohibition era here in the United States when alcohol was technically forbidden, one of the legal exceptions was for religious purposes, that is for for communion. Um, so all of a sudden. You know, the people who produced wine for uh, Catholic rituals suddenly got an enormous amount of demand, right? Because they, <laughs> all of a sudden there was a lot more uh, communion taking going on than there had been previously. Um, and as you weeknight, you know, <laughs> I mean, as you mentioned, um, uh, you know, some wine came to the moon, but nobody knew about it uh, because, you know, this is still kind of a puritanical country. And the idea that um, our astronauts, who are supposed to be our best and brightest and purest people, were, were boozing up there, even under religious auspices, uh, I would wager made a lot of people really unsettled. So oh. I would not be at all surprised if the first wine gets shipped to Mars um, under the label of religious paraphernalia or something. Oh, I get caught. And, you know, as you mentioned, that was how it went to the moon. And, you know, Buzz actually arranged with the Webster Presbyterian Church in advance, brought a goblet and the wine. And as you mentioned, yeah, the... The reason it wasn't public, and he wanted to originally do it publicly, but I believe it was Deke Slayton who uh, said, that's fine, you can do it, but turn off the radio. After your public pronouncements, you know, turn off the radio and do it. And this was, this was additional, there was additional motivation here because NASA had received, um, well, complaints from very, fairly well-known atheists after the um, Apollo 8 crew had, you know, read from Genesis going around the moon 50 pretty much 51 years ago you know very you know right around now and so that there was an outcry there but you know with buzz doing both a prayer and drinking alcohol <laughs> that, that doubled it that would have been <laughs> that would have been problematic but you're right i think yeah the religious aspect well certainly we're gonna people are going to start doing you know have churches and everything in space there's no question about that and you're right and may, maybe that maybe that'll be one of the motivations since i actually mentioned all that in the book prohibition you know what you mentioned with the whole communion element to it and how it made communion wines explode and kept kept the american wine industry alive as well <laughs> I mentioned that in the book, but it's, of course, throughout history, religion has played. It's been a complicated uh, relationship within religions, but it has also been, had played an integral part 
And uh, religions have, as much as anybody, probably more than anybody, disseminated um, alcohol, whether it be wine, whether it be distilled spirits. If you look at the Catholic Church with wine yeah, and distilled spirits, um, at other religions, you know, there's been a con- close connection within their ceremonies, but in order to perform their ceremonies everywhere else, creating alcohol industries, whether it be from themselves, like from monks, but disseminating that technology, the ability to do it, and it's, they played a dramatic role. So I don't see any reason why it wouldn't continue, you know, moving forward as well. I could totally see a mo- <laughs> the, uh, it's yeah, a monastery on Mars. Seems like if you really want to be alone, yep. that's a place to go. That's and a good place. <laughs> they yeah, might be the that. first to make to make beer. Now, it's interesting. Buzz Aldrin or Neil Armstrong, they didn't film that moment of pouring. So he poured wine into a goblet, which is amazing to me. And uh, that could have had a sign. You know, they could have cheated or genuinely added some kind of scientific element by having something poured there because. Uh, uh, um, Chris, I think you mentioned that that drinking uh, of the wine on the moon is the only time in human history alcohol has been enjoyed or partaken of on another body. As far as we know. I think it's probably the case, but you know, once again, while I talk to a lot of people, yeah, everybody's still very guarded on the topic, so it's it, it's entirely possible somebody else did, but or let's just assume that's the case. Yeah, as far as I know, I don't know of any other time in that, and there aren't too many other options here for times, and so that so it's probably the case that Buzz is the only only person to have consumed alcohol on another planetary body. But as I said, there's been has been certainly plenty of opportunities in space. Actually, just a few months earlier, it wasn't this wasn't the first time alcohol had been in space either because. It had been on space many times. It just wasn't consumed, as far as we know. For instance, on that Apollo 8 trip, three bottles of brandy were sent up as a joke. But they went they went up, you know, part of their holiday meals. Um, but uh, years later, Jim Lovell sold his bottle for almost $18,000. You know, one of the only... Well, that would be a great prize to have one of the only bottles of uh, brandy to circle the moon. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'm fascinated by the idea that the gravity might affect uh, the taste of everything. I mean, on a positive note, what that might mean is that uh, on Mars, for instance, or possibly it's going to really happen uh, in space with these experiments, they'll come up with some new taste that no one's ever tasted before because it could never exist. And, you know, that was good. With the gravity, you know, of course, as Buzz described, it just went down one-sixth gravity. It went down really slowly, slowly circled the top. But you're right. There were no science. It wasn't filmed. But you're right. There could be. But gravity does impact taste, or at least microgravity does. Uh And that's a big part of the book as well, because um, one of the issues that has been um, being, being studied is the fact that astronauts generally report that they their taste buds are impacted by time and space. They feel like they have a pretty strong head cold. So astronauts often prefer uh. strong foods. They often, they'll they'll request hot sauce, Tabasco sauce, things like that, just to make sure that they have you know can taste it. And so there have been um, companies looking at that. One and there well two issues here because I had mentioned. Um, 
champagne in space. There's also companies wanting to do beer in space. And so taste has been one of the challenges, but the other big challenge is carbonation. While uh, things like spirits and wine would be fine in that element, champagne and beer are a problem, at least right now, because carbonation is problematic in microgravity. As you know, in 1G, one gravity here on Earth, the gas rises to the top, disperses into the atmosphere. Right. Does, <coughs> excuse me, doesn't do that in space. Uh, it goes to the center and actually starts expanding. It does that in your stomach also. Whoa, and and so and so um, astronauts have reported stomach cramps and then wet burps, which once again, <laughs> not, not the result you're, you know, for an alcohol produce, what they want for result from their product. So a company in Australia who create uh, basically a partnership between um, um, an aerospace company and a brewery came together and decided, can we create a beer that could be consumed in space, in microgravity? And they created Vostok beer, named after the first human spaceflight, you know, with Yuri Gagarin. And they were looking at, you know, both carbonation and taste, trying to find the balance. So it was, it was still enough carbonation, so it just didn't taste like alcoholic tea or beer tasting tea, but also had strong enough taste. They picked the stout, and found the right balance and have tested that on a uh, zero G flight, you know, on those doing parabolas for those, you know, zero, the um, vomit comet. Yeah. Uh, same thing, same thing with that company, as I mentioned, Maison Mum. That was what one of the things they're looking at. It's trying to find the right balance of carbonation and taste. So once again, they can have a pleasant drinking that, experience of bubbly and spin. That is hilarious. That gives a whole new meaning to the vomit. All comment. Of these things come into place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it's kind of funny. Funny you mentioned that because this is not a new thing. Because originally, why they wanted to send make wine part of the um, wine part of the uh, menu for Skylab back in the early seventies huh? because they wanted to create a home away from home. And they spent. They actually started talking to the wine community, trying to figure out what the best wine would be to go up Skylab. Because you also wanted a wine that was stable enough that it wouldn't be negatively impacted by the, the violent shaking and other factors going up to space. It's harsh. You know, you're really going to be, it's not going to be pleasant experience for your wine. One of the things that undercut, it never went up to ISS, not ISS, never went up to Skylab, rather, because one of the things that doomed it was they did went on to the Vomit Comet. And as you mentioned, it's called the Vomit Comet for a reason. And apparently there's always a lingering smell of the product <laughs> that it's named after. And so when they opened up the sherry bottles and mixing with the, um, <laughs> the, the, the natural smell of the vomit vomit, it did not have good results. And so between that and the fact that the press caught wind that they wanted to send wine up into space, it kind of it it undercut it, and they never did send the sherry up into space. I, I love the idea that you know there'd be one of those there's a, there's a wine taster, you know, and he tastes this sherry or something, and he's describing all the flow. Oh, there's a little bit of black cherry, a little chocolate, <laughs> oh, and a little vomit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So it might be that you you might want to skip the opening night at the Mars bar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Will one-third G be sufficient? Will our taste buds be impacted by that? Because there is gravity. Um, and will carbonation theoretically should rise just slowly? And so 
it's going to be a completely different thing in all likelihood. It may not have as much of a problem, or it may be a problem, but not as big a problem. <laughs> those, those, um, uh, the those what are those things on YouTube? The Mentos, Coke. But they drop Mentos oh, right. <laughs> into Coke bottles and they explode on on Mars. That'll be amazing. They'll go even higher. Or you know, at the end of the first Super Bowl, let's that would say. be interesting. There are lots of cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. There are a lot of cool things, cool experiments we'd love to try on Mars. Yeah, yeah, amazing. All right, so now what I like to do at the very, very end is I want to jump fast forward. So let's say, uh, in this case, let's go just a couple hundred years forward on Mars, and there's there's a whole, everything, you know, there's a whole industry there now. There are bars. Uh, this bar franchised itself, you know, so there's Mars Bar, Chrysler Planitia, Mars Bar, uh, mm -hmm. Olympus Mons, you know. Um, well, actually, at the top of Olympus Mons, you're going to take a cable car up there, and there's going to be some special, you know, celebratory champagne you have up there. Uh, what do you imagine this society is like? Will, will Matt, what do you, so let's envision the Mars of that period. How do you so see? So I think one of the most important things would be that uh, by that time, we would have figured out um, what ferments well on Mars, what tastes good on Mars, what gets you drunk quicker on Mars. Ah, so yes. um, I would imagine that certain beverages would come to be associated with Martian culture um, uh, simply because they're better to drink there. So then I would suspect that then you would get this kind of reverse effect back on Earth where drinking certain things would mean you are sort of like a Martian aficionado. That's right. right. The way back, well, I suppose even even today, drinking certain beverages would mean you're a, a Europeanophile, or if you drink sake, that sort of associates you with Japanese culture. Um, so you would have Mars parties here on Earth, where you'd get together and drink Martian things, Martian style. Yeah. Also, you would have. Uh, I love that idea because first of all, they'd have to also then solve the whole problem of shipping from Mars coming back to Earth, different gravity and all that kind of stuff. But I can imagine you would need a special, like in a wine cellar, they, they try to create the absolute, most absolute perfect, you know, atmosphere. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. And, and often that tends to be, you know, as close, maybe as close to whatever it was when the wine was made or stored. And so some billionaire, you know, Elon Musk's um, wine cellar is going to probably be a centrifuge of some kind that main there's some some way of maintaining one third you know maintaining mars gravity perhaps that would be that that's tricky yeah yeah and and mars <laughs> atmosphere and all that kind of stuff and so to go visit his wine cellar you would have to put on a um a spacesuit and chris maybe oh, here i can really bring it back all back around your uh chris your some of the things we might learn or gain from your Explore Mars uh, initiatives would come into play because we would need that to, to you know, uh, put on our accoutrements so we could go in to the Mars bar Earth and, you know, sample it in the Martian environment. So that's a very complicated scenario mm -hmm. i just laid out and uh, uh i well, think but, but i should say i mean totally plausible as you say we have wine cellars and wine fridges and um all sorts of ways of making alcohol keeping alcohol just so um so it either 
um, ages or develops in exactly the way you expect it to. Um, I think the trickiest thing would be Mars gravity. So if it turns out that gravity has a strong influence on fermentation, um, then maybe that would be Mars's primary export because you can't make it anywhere else. Yeah, you, you would have originally, you know, whole new types of alcohol. But as you mentioned, what crops work best? We only use a very small number of crops that are traditionally used for alcohol, but you can use a lot of different things. You know, maybe algae would be the preferred crop. Maybe that would be the easiest starting off. And you start a whole new alcohol based on the fermentation of algae, but also the Martian gravity. And you have one based on that or whatever other biomass you decide you can use. Maybe biomass that maybe not be practical to eat. But, hey, you can make a really good um, whiskey out of it or something. And so that's that's where it's going to get interesting, because when you have a harsh environment, you think about things differently. And so you start looking at possibilities that you didn't need to look at on Earth, but all of a sudden you have innovation. You create something completely different and new. Lots of questions that come up, and a lot of these we do mention at the Humans to Mars Summit that we have in Washington every year. That's awesome. That's awesome. And and so lastly, there's two images that, are, that stick in my mind. Um, one is that, uh, Matt, you were mentioning a sort of snobbery. You'd be able to say, you know, oh, well, you should really try the Marsh. I know Martian wine. <laughs> you would then also be able to say you'd be drinking it on Earth, you know, and you'd be like, well, it's, it's close, but it's not really what it tastes like. I was exactly. on Mars, for instance. Let me show you my pictures. And lastly, I now know why Arthur C. Clarke ended the great uh, 2010 novel by having a, a message from the aliens or something given to Earthlings that said, uh, you can go anywhere you want, but stay off of Europa. Europa is not for you. And that is probably because the aliens knew humans very well. And that if we go there and we find living, living things, crops, for instance, and stuff like that on Europa, you're going to have the Europa bar. There's just, yeah. there's just no doubt about it. That's right. So Europa is a dry county. Yep. Yeah. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Chris, this, this book just sounds so amazing. I mean, like every single tidbit of information you're giving here is is uh, wonderful. And I must say, in terms of like, you know, science outreach, interest in the space programs and things like that, this is so popular. This is something that everybody can so relate to. And, and it's it's, you know, got a fun flavor to it. No pun intended. Uh, it could it could surpass and maybe even hopefully supplant the number one thing that people think of when they want to relate to space travel. I've met astronauts and they say, you know, the first question always asked is, how do you go to the bathroom in space? <laughs> well, related as well. That's, that's right. Exactly. It's totally related. Maybe you'll be able to breach the giggle factor, I suppose, or the shame, whatever it is that sort of kept this stuff out of the news. Tell us the title again, and uh, where can people find this fabulous book? It's called Alcohol in Space, Past, Present, Future. They can go online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, most online booksellers have it right now. Go out and buy it. You can also buy it, you know, it's not your hard copy, or you can buy an electronic version as well. So a couple options there. You know, going back to that science issue... I liked connecting the dots within it. That the show is not just about wanting to have a drink 
it has so many interesting other elements to it, connecting the dots on civilization, innovation. And that's actually why it just last a couple, I think it was last week, um, Wired Magazine named it one of 12 science books that you should read right now <laughs> at the end of oh, the year. So, <laughs> so I was quite happy with that. So, <laughs> The Humans to Mars Summit will be taking place on May 12th through 14th in Washington, D.C. at the National Academy of Sciences building. If you haven't been there, go to it. It's beautiful, wonderful building. And they can go to exploremars.org to find out information there. While we always have at that conference, you know, the top luminaries in space exploration and the talk about mission architecture, design, rockets, and everything else, we also talk about these sorts of topics like agriculture or innovation. This isn't just about a few rocket companies this is a full societal effort, and companies you wouldn't even think of can play a huge role in the su success of the space program and humanity living and working in space. You mentioned Suntory, which of course makes me think of Suntory time. <laughs> you could have a brand called Suntory Space Time. These alcohol experiments that are happening right now on the International Space Station, you must have to take relativity into account a little bit. You know, uh, well, that's an interesting question, actually, because, of course, that's right. Fermentation is a time dependent process. So you may find people who uh, simply want to uh, carry out Einstein's uh, grandfather, so-called paradox experiment or no, twins. Uh, paradox. Twin paradox. Yeah. Right. You could like fly nearly at light speed simply to go very far from the Earth, simply to come back so that within you know, what would seem like a very short time to you, you can try, you know, a wine that has now aged 80 years. Nice. <laughs> that, yeah, that would be that would be quite a commitment to finding a, <laughs> an 18 year wine, you know, let the whole earth age another 80 years That's before right. you come back. <laughs> That's right. That's I think really, people would totally do it. Yeah. The true kind of story. Chris, you are going to be receiving, I don't know if you know about this, a, a special thank you gift from us at What the If. And that is a finger puppet Ooh. of a great scientist or science fiction character. I'm going to look for a bartender, uh, or I'll see what I can find, from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild, who are uh, friends of ours at uh, philosophersguild.com. Uh, just a quick mention that for our listeners, you don't have to wait to be on the show, although we would love to have you on the show. You can get 10% off anything at uh, philosophersguild.com with the coupon code WTIF. If you have any ideas for shows, if we use that idea, you will also get a finger puppet. You can send your ideas or comments of any kind. Greetings, whatever. Mixology recipes, that would be great. <laughs> Email us at feedback at whattheif.com or you can just go right to our website, uh, whattheif.com and uh, click contact and on that website you're going to find all you'll see all our other episodes you can listen to there's more now way more than a hundred uh, episodes there on all different kinds of topics check that out also on twitter we are at what the if show so follow us there as well chris thank you so much this was both yeah, such an honor and so much fun having you on the show this week 
Do you have any last, do you have a, a word of wisdom or a parting thought? I rarely have wisdom. <laughs> but uh, I just want to say thank you. This was a lot of fun. I love I love these sorts of thought experiments and pondering the connections and what if this happens and what the ramifications. So this is my kind of show. So thank you for having me on. I just think, oh, hope people will buy the book and come to uh, the Humans to Mars Summit in May. And if not, if they can't come, Humans to Mars Summit is always webcast as well. We always prefer uh, that they come in person and pay for registration. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if they can't, then we can accept them watching online. So, but at any, any rate, just thank you again for having me on. Having reached the end of this if, like the bottom of the bottle, we find the worm at the bottom. What is that? Is that tequila that has the tequila? Yeah, tequila. We find the worm at the bottom, and the worm is, you know, a special treat. It's a delicacy, but also it's a little bit makes you feel weird. We are trying to imagine what the if will be next week. We have no idea. There's many, many possibilities fermenting around the ah, universe. Yes. Ah, see. When we ponder that, we can't help. And all of you who've been listening for a while, you know this. And I hope you'll join us in this ritual we have. And Chris, I hope you'll join us as well, where we raise a glass of Mars wine and we scream into the universe. What, what the... the... Oh. <laughs> <laughs>